Good morning. It's my privilege and honor to lead you in the scripture reading this morning uh, in 2 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 10. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay the, with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled that among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. Heavenly Father, in these next few moments as we open your word, Lord, I pray that we would have the blessing of opening our hearts that we might receive your word. Lord, and I pray that you would grace us with the opportunity to be changed by our encounter with you. God, I pray, as I have prayed so often before, Lord, what we do not know, would you teach us? What we do not have, would you give us? And what we are not, would you make us for your glory through the power of your Holy Spirit? In the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to set the scene for you, if you can, go back with me. 1,700 years, actually very near, exactly 1,700 years, to a city called Nicaea. It's in modern-day Iznik, Turkey. And in 325 A.D., the Emperor Constantine called together what we refer to as the Council of Nicaea. And the Council of Nicaea took place because there was a bishop in uh, the Christian church who was very popular, uh, very well-known, and uh, by many people, very well-liked. And uh, he had uh, many teachings, but there were, there's one specific teaching he had that gained him both popularity but also kind of uh, notoriety or infamy, if you will. Uh, his name was Arius. And Arius taught that Jesus was, in fact, a created being and was not eternal. Now, I can go ahead and tell you that is not what I believe. Uh, it's not what the Bible teaches, but that's what he taught. And so uh, while he had much popularity among the people, he did not have a lot of popularity among other bishops and teachers of the word. And Constantine, the emperor, he hoped that this would unify the Roman Empire, but actually what was happening was the church was, was, was fragmenting because of this disagreement. So that's why Constantine called the Council of Nicaea in 325 in Nicaea. And so uh, as uh, the story goes, there were 318 delegates to the Council of Nicaea. And these men were bishops and, and, and church leaders from all over the, the known uh, world and the Roman Empire uh, specifically. And as they came uh, to this place, there was something of note in their visit. Now, the reason I share this is because um, there were, of those 318, as they came uh, to this place, they were uh, specifically impacted by something. 
See, this was 325 A.D., and not 12 years earlier, something ended that began 20 years, or a little over 20 years before. A little over 20 years before this council, uh, the emperors at the time uh, decided that Christianity needed to be illegal across the entire Roman Empire. And so much so that it became law, it became standard practice, that anyone who claimed to be a Christian or stood for Christianity, you were more than welcome to persecute them, mistreat them, torture them, imprison them, and even very gruesome, uh, in very gruesome accounts, have them executed. This happened for over 10 years across the Roman Empire. It was a horrific state of suffering and difficulty and hardship. And yet, when Constantine, who called the, uh, the Council of Nicaea, uh, when Constantine rose to power, he abolished all that, and he made Christianity legal across and acceptable across all of the Roman Empire. So the reason I share that is because when he called the Council of Nicaea, all of these church leaders, these 318 church leaders, uh, priests and, and bishops and those, showed up at the Council of Nicaea, and they all were men who had lived through this horrible time of persecution. They had, they had lived through it, and there is a historical account that of the 318 of these bishops that showed up, 306 of them were visibly, notably, marred, maimed, disfigured. They were missing limbs, body parts, eyes. They were horribly uh, disfigured. Many of them had no teeth because they had been smashed out with hammers, because they stood for the gospel of Jesus Christ in the midst of a horrible, horrible time. So of the 318 men who ultimately decided what we refer to as the Nicene Creed, of those 318, 306 of them stood for the gospel of Jesus Christ when it was not easy to stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Thessalonian believers that Paul was writing to in, in their own day, much earlier than the Council of Nicaea, in their own day, were suffering a, a persistent and, and difficult persecution as well. We don't know what it was, but we do know this, that the Apostle Paul wrote them to give them a word of encouragement and specifically as it related to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, when you're struggling, whether you're ill or whatever it may be, but when you're struggling, many times just knowing that someone is there is one of the greatest comforts. Just knowing that you have someone to be with you, someone to watch over you, someone to care for you. Simply put, when you're hurting, when you're suffering, it's just nice to know that you have not been forgotten. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing here and if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have been born again, then rightly so. The coming of Christ is something to look forward to, something to be excited about, something to have joy and hope in, something to look forward to with anticipation. But for those who are not Christ followers, this is not so. Because the coming of Christ will either be a joyful comfort or an awful calamity. A joyful comfort or an awful calamity. Now many of us have certainly not suffered the way that those men at Nicaea had. And to be honest, many of us haven't even suffered 
to the measure that the Thessalonian believers had. But if you live your life for Jesus Christ in this world, and you stand for the gospel no matter what, at some point you can rest assured and know that suffering and difficulty in different measures will be a reality in your life. You will be mistreated. You will be looked over for a job or a promotion. You will be ignored. You will be, even worse, could be attacked verbally or otherwise. But when believers suffer for Christ's sake, they should be encouraged in their acceptance. Should be encouraged in their acceptance. Look at verse 5 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. This. What is this? Well, he's referring back to chapter 1 verse 4. When he said, therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God. So Paul is saying that the evidence in your life of the righteous judgment of God is the fact that you are willing and able to stand firm and steadfast in the midst of suffering and difficulty. That's what he tells them. In fact, he says this is the evidence, their conduct, their steadfastness in suffering is evidence to the believers of the coming righteous judgment, and they can have hope. Um, he says it's the evidence of the righteous judgment of God. They could take heart because they could know that God's justice would be meted out. He's, he's giving them comfort at this point. But why is the justice of God a comforting thing for a believer? Well, simply put, the justice of God is a comforting thing for a believer because the Bible tells us in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul says that from the beginning of time, God's wrath has been poured out against sin and against the unrighteousness of men and, the un and men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So God's wrath is poured out against sin. That is his justice. He justifiably, human beings have violated his holiness. And because of that, we are the recipients of God's wrath and justice. And yet, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the scripture says that when he hung on the cross, he who knew no sin became sin. So that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Why is the justice of God a comforting doctrine for those who know Christ? It's a comforting doctrine. Because while you in your sin and myself in my sin are under the just punishment of a wrathful God. Jesus hung on the cross, took my sin, took your sin upon himself... And the wrath of God fell on Jesus instead of on me so that the justice of God could still be acted out. So if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the reason that the righteous justice of God is a comforting thing is because when I think about God's justice, I remember that I am not a recipient of God's justice. I am a recipient of God's grace and that Jesus took God's justice for me. So when he tells them that they are to, um, to know this, and this is the evidence... That they are, <clears throat> that they are, uh, it's the evidence of the righteous judgment of God. 
He says this, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. So, how are they considered worthy? This is not, <clears throat> this is not the Apostle Paul saying that you suffer and because you remain steadfast, that earns you the ability to enter the kingdom of God. That's not what he says. He doesn't say that you gain entrance into the kingdom of God. He says that you are worthy of the kingdom of God, which is another way of him telling us this. You and I did not earn anything, or we didn't earn God's salvation. We didn't earn our eternity with the Lord. But because of our steadfastness in hardship, he says that is the evidence that your faith is genuine. And because that is the evidence of your faith being genuine, then you can know that not because of you, but because of what Jesus did for you, you will be worthy to enter his kingdom. So in other words, you and I did nothing to make this happen. Jesus did everything to make this happen. And we can enter his kingdom because he is worthy and he has made us worthy. So he says you will be Worthy, considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. For which you are also suffering. I, I, I said this a little bit last week, or kind of referenced it, but he says that they are suffering for something specific. It, there are oftentimes, I don't know if this is true about you, but it's true for me. Um, there are many times that I struggle and suffer because I make dumb decisions. I do something that I should not have done or I don't think through it before I make a decision and then I suffer the consequences for it. That's not the kind of suffering he's talking about here. He specifically says that the, the, their steadfastness in their faith, that they don't waver in their faith, is the evidence of them being worthy. Okay, It's the evidence of the righteous judgment of God and them being worthy to enter the kingdom of God for which they suffer also. What are they suffering for? They are not suffering for bad decisions. They are not suffering because they made uh, the wrong choice. They are suffering because they are standing for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in a culture that does not like the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're standing in the midst of persecution. They're standing in the midst of hardship. They are suffering on behalf of Christ and his kingdom. See, believer, when you... When you live out the gospel, when you live out your life for Christ, when you live out the implications of the gospel in your life, I, I, it's not a fun promise. If you heard me say this before, you know, people like to take the promises of God and put them on a coffee mug and have them on your desk or put them on a pillow and put them on your couch. This is not a promise of God that you want stitched on a pillow. You don't want it on a sweatshirt. You don't want it on a coffee mug. But Paul told Timothy that he promises that all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's a promise. That's not a fun promise, but it's nonetheless a promise. And so he says that's the case. So suffering and difficulty, standing for the gospel of Jesus Christ, is common for all believers. It should be common for all of us. So, but your, willing, your willingness to remain steadfast, your willingness to remain immovable in spite of suffering and to not pull back, it's the evidence of your salvation. It doesn't earn your salvation, it's just the evidence of it. See, the reason that I want to point that out is because there are those who claim the name of Christ. They claim they're a Christian. They claim that they follow the Lord. But then the moment things get hard, the moment things get tough, the moment the heat rises uh, in the oven, as it were, the moment it gets hard, they bolt. And the reason is this, is because 
they were not suffering for the cause of the kingdom and the gospel. The moment suffering came, they said, wait a second, that's not what I signed up for. And they, and they leave. Can I be really honest with you? If, if someone is saying they're a Christian and then the moment things get difficult, they bolt from Christ. It, they, some people say, so were they, did they lose their salvation? I want to be really clear. I can show you multiple places in Scripture where that is not possible. They did not lose their salvation. If someone says they believe in Christ and then things get hard and they bolt, the Scripture is very clear. They never believed truly to begin with. And so he says... They are remaining steadfast. They are not shaken. So if you're a believer and you have suffered, you are suffering, you're going through difficulty and hardship, you can find rest. You can find encouragement in the fact that standing firm in the midst of hardship is the evidence that you have been born again. When things get hard, one preacher said it this way, when things get hard, you can simply tell, you can tell whether someone is a believer in one way. That when things get hard, true believers run to Jesus. When things get hard, people who aren't true believers run from Jesus. You can rest, believer, if you are standing firm in that difficulty and hardship, you can rest in knowing that your faith is genuine, your hope is founded, your salvation is secure. And that when you stand before Christ, whether at His return or at your going, you can be found worthy to enter His kingdom. This is a great hope for those of us who are born again you should be able to find deep hope and comfort and encouragement in his acceptance of you. So when we suffer, we can definitely find encouragement in his acceptance. And our common human condition means that all of us have times in our lives where suffering and difficulty settle in. There are those in this room right now who, you know, we know as a church body, you're suffering. There are those of you in this room right now, maybe we don't know as a church body, but your, your friends, uh, your close friends and your relatives, they know that you're suffering. And then there are those of you in this room right now who are suffering and you're the only one that knows about it because you've kept it to yourself. You keep it hidden under a pretty smile. You keep it hidden... When someone says, how are you doing today? You give that wonderful Baptist answer. I'm great, brother. How are you? But you've got it hidden inside that you are suffering. And for some, suffering can settle into the point where you may even describe it as, it just right now it seems like there's no end and there is no light at the end of the tunnel. It's just hard. And it is a struggle child of God, I want to tell you something this morning based off this passage of Scripture. One word, really, in this passage of Scripture. Hear me. No matter how it is, and no matter how hard it may be, the way it is now is not the way 
it will always be. The way it is now is not permanent. Because when believers suffer for Christ's sake, they should also be comforted in their deliverance. Look at verse 7. I know we skipped verse 6. We'll go back to it in a minute. Verse 7, And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. Now, the preceding statement that that, that builds off of is where he says in verse 6, Since indeed God considers it just. So he considers it just to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. He considers it just. He considers it right for those who are his children. He considers it just to relieve that suffering. He considers it just to bring relief in the midst of that difficulty. The word relief here, it means to loosen or relieve pressure or to relieve from a burden. To relieve from a burden. See, the Christian life is joyful and it is magnificent and it is wonderful. But make no mistake about it, living for Jesus in a culture that is hostile toward the gospel and toward the Lord Jesus Christ is a burden to an extent. Say, well, do you have biblical precedence for that? Yes, I do. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you need to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. The cross is a burden. It's an instrument of death. You have died to yourself. You are following Jesus. It is a burden. But Jesus here, through the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, says that he considers it just to grant relief to those who are afflicted. Now, this is not a promise. Hear me. This is not a promise of immediate relief. In fact, it's a promise of future relief. It's it's not a promise of immediate relief. Um, Regardless of what you might hear on the television or YouTube from a preacher who has cufflinks that are more expensive than my car, regardless of what you might hear, when you suffer in this life, yes, suffering happens because of sin in this world. Just, Just sin entered this world, so suffering enters it. But hear me, if you are suffering or struggling in your life, it is not necessarily because there is sin in your life or you lack faith. It is because suffering is common in this life. And if you live for Jesus, we're promised that we will suffer for the cause of Christ. So so suffering happens. And this is not a promise of immediate relief. But this is also a joy. It's not a promise of immediate relief, but it is a promise of certain relief. It's a promise of certain relief because if you're struggling right now, take heart, believer. If you're struggling right now and you're praying for yourself or, or a family member or a friend or someone who is struggling with some deep, difficult issue and they're, they're hurting and all of those things and you're praying for them and they're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can know something. He does not promise immediate relief. Now, in His grace, He may heal them. He may fix it right now. But I can promise you, He promises certain relief, which means they may not get it now, but they will certainly get it on the other side so he promises relief not immediate relief but he promises relief and he promises it in a very specific way and grant and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us see so often when we're hurting when we're experiencing difficulty and hardship 
The lie of the enemy, maybe it's a weakness in our own flesh, but the lie of the enemy can tell you that you're alone. That no one can truly understand what you're going through because it's just, it's just too much. No one can truly understand it. Well, the truth is, first of all, that's just not accurate. There, there, there are people all over who understand. But even if we said there is no one in your immediate circle who truly understands your issue, there is always someone who understands. The Apostle Paul is telling the Thessalonians, what does he say? He says, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. He's looking at the Thessalonians saying, by the way, guys, you need to know something. He's going to grant relief to you. We're also looking forward to that relief. It's Paul's way of saying, you're not suffering alone. You're not suffering alone, believer. You're not struggling alone in this life. He says, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he will bring relief to you who are afflicted. And you are not alone. Paul says we are there as well. So believer, isn't it wonderful to know that no matter how dark it gets, no matter how difficult it becomes, you have not been forgotten by your heavenly Father. You have not been forgotten. In this room this morning, there are those of you who need to hear something. You need to hear the fact that there is no depth in your darkness that he cannot touch. There is no height in your hardship that he cannot reach. There is no amount of affliction through which he can't move. And there is no stage of your suffering of which he is not aware. What an amazing truth for every believer in this room to know. God is there. God is watching, and your Heavenly Father cares. You may not get relief right now, but He's watching every moment of your life, and He promises relief. He promises that that is a hope you can look for. Believer, if that's the case, then you and I can take comfort, we can take encouragement in knowing that these, as the Apostle Paul calls them elsewhere, these momentary and light afflictions are storing up for us an eternal weight of glory. But they are momentary and they are light. And we can have hope. You are watched and loved by your Heavenly Father. You are ever before His watchful eye. You are ever within His loving hand. You are ever near His loving heart and you are ever within the borders of His amazing grace. Nothing can snatch you from that. Nothing can move you from that. Believer, you may be in this room this morning and you just need to hear that. God knows you. God's watching you. God's with you. And God promises to take care of you. There is not a moment of your life where you could say, where is God? He's the exact same place He's always been. Right beside you. All the way. So while it's in its entirety, it is true that believers can find comfort and should find encouragement in our acceptance and in our deliverance. There's another aspect regarding suffering, at least in this passage, regarding suffering that Paul brings out that I think is extremely important for us to understand. Um, however, it's it's a concept that's not really 
but we don't hear it much anymore. We don't hear it any much, that much anymore because it is a doctrine, it's a teaching that is difficult for people to accept. And when we hear that, we say, okay, so it's difficult for the world to accept. No, actually, uh, oftentimes I find that it's a, it's a doctrine that's difficult for believers to accept. It's, it's a doctrine where we, at best, we're okay with just sort of remaining hazy on and not really being clear regarding what we believe. It's hard because, as we just spoke of, for those who are believers, while God is certainly the God of grace, He is also a God of justice. We can't be foggy about this. We can't be confused regarding this doctrine. We can't accept a worldly position that would tell us this is insensitive. We can't come to this understanding and say, at best, well, I'm just not really sure what I think about that. The Bible is inordinately sure. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we also must be sure. Now, much of this text already is directed, it is, directed toward believers. But right here in this moment, I don't know, there, there are those in this room you don't fall in the category of a follower of Christ. And, and I'll be honest with you, I don't know your reason for coming. I don't know the reason for which you came, but I know why you're here. See, the Lord has something for you this morning. The Lord has a word for you this morning from His word. Again, this is something I believe strongly. We cannot leave hazy. When believers suffer for Christ's sake, they should be clear about His justice. Look back at verse 6. Since indeed God considers it just to repay, repay with affliction those who afflict you. So God considers it just and righteous judgment that He was speaking of in verse 5. It means that the Thessalonian Christians will see the kingdom because they are worthy, because Christ has made them worthy. So that's, that's true. But when he refers to righteous judgment, the truth is if those who are believers in Christ, the righteous judgment of God is a comfort, the righteous judgment of God is not a comfort for those who do not know him. In fact, it says here, he considers it just. It's right. To repay with affliction those who afflict you. Specifically in this context, it's, he's talking about people that are, that are persecuting the Thessalonian believers. But as we'll see in a moment, it applies to far beyond just those individual people. Because look what it says. We, we, we saw the first part of verse 7. Look at the second half. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So this is something that's coming. He says when, not if, when the Lord Jesus is revealed. So this is something that is done. This is the second coming of Christ. He is coming and when he is revealed, he comes with his mighty angels. But also, verse 8, in flaming fire. In flaming fire. 
He says that when Jesus returns, he's going to come with his angels, his messengers. His messengers, yes, they bring messages, but also if you look throughout the scriptures, not only do his angels bring messages, but his angels are also the messengers of his wrath. They bring justice and wrath. They visit that upon people. So he's coming with his angels, and then he says, and in flaming fire. Yes, fire purifies and I know that there are benefits to fire, but much of the time in Scripture, when it refers to God, specifically to God and fire, when it says things like our God is an all-consuming fire, what that means is it's, a, it's an exciting thing for those who are being made holy, but for everybody else, it is not an exciting thing. It means judgment. It means wrath. It means punishment. So it says He's coming, and He's coming with those things inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So he comes inflicting vengeance on two groups. Two groups. That's why I said it actually goes beyond just those who are afflicting the Thessalonians. And that's why it also goes beyond them and applies today and it applies to people in this room who have never trusted Christ. He says it's two groups. He comes, and he'll come with his angels in flaming fire to inflict vengeance on two groups. The first group are those who do not know God. Those who do not know God. It, it doesn't say those who do not know about God. It says those who do not know God. Y'all know I love baseball. My, one of my heroes in baseball, Nolan Ryan. I know a lot about Nolan Ryan, but I have never met Nolan Ryan. I know all about his stats and how long he played and all the things he did. I know about him, but I do not know him. And that's what it says here. It doesn't say that he'll come inflicting judgment upon those who, he, but he won't do it to those who know about him. It says he's coming to inflict vengeance on those who don't know him, know him personally. They don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But then there are others who may say, well, you know, I mean, I, I know about Jesus. and I mean, I know the gospel. I know the gospel. And that's why I love the way that the Apostle Paul phrases this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he says to those who know, or rather those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not those who do not know the gospel. It is those who do not obey the gospel. There are plenty of people in this room, plenty of people in the church today, if you ask them what is the gospel, say, well, Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the dead, he died for our sins, so on and so forth. We just got through an extensive study in the book of James, and the book of James tells us something very specific. The book of James tells us that Satan and his demons know the gospel. They know the gospel. In fact, if I was to give you the gospel... In three words. He references it here. I give you the gospel in three words. I say it every time I baptize somebody. The gospel in three words. Jesus is Lord. That's the gospel in three words. We can give other explanations and details. That's the gospel. Jesus is Lord. So if the gospel is Jesus is Lord, then what the apostle Paul says is he comes to visit judgment first on those who do not know God, second on those who do not obey the fact that Jesus is Lord. They don't obey it. 
See, Satan and his demons know the gospel. They know that Jesus is Lord, but they refuse to submit to the fact that Jesus is Lord. They refuse to obey the gospel. They refuse to say, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I'm in need. God, save me. They, they refuse to do that. So he says that it is on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel. Simply put, he says he's going to visit vengeance on those who afflict God's people. It's going to be a, he's going to visit upon those who do not know God. And he's even going to visit upon those who know the gospel, but have never actually received it and acted upon it. That covers everybody. That covers every human being on the face of the earth. Verse 9, verse 9 bothers me. I don't know how often you hear preachers say that, but verse 9 bothers me. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 9 should bother you. And I say this with every ounce of love and concern that I can. If you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 9 should terrify you. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. This is the outcome of not knowing God, of not obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, hear me. When he says, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, that word destruction, it means ruin, it means um, punishment. We hear destruction, we think something happens and then it's gone. Um, there, there is a theological doctrine called annihilationism, which I do not believe the Bible teaches, and I don't think you can prove it from Scripture at all. Um, that's not what this is saying. What this is saying is, those who do not know God, those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, will experience, just as a believer, experiences eternal grace and mercy those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ will experience eternal punishment and suffering just as the believer receives the ability to spend eternity in the gracious and loving presence of God those who are do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ will suffer an eternity apart from the gracious mercy and presence of God. It's the exact opposite. Put it another way. He says, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. This refers to a horrible suffering and punishment for all eternity. This is a punishment that cannot be escaped. It cannot be mitigated. It means it's continual. It means it's permanent. It means it is the type of suffering in which the status of it will never change. It is, simply put, forever. That is not something 
that I delight in saying. It's not something that I delight in being true. But it is something that I categorically cannot deny. Because the scripture says it. It is the absolute truth. Now he finishes this text in verse 10, or this section really. In verse 10 when he says, he's going to come in that day, and when he comes on that day, to be glorified in his saints, and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. He says, it's going to be an opportunity for worship. That's what he's telling the Thessalonians. It's an opportunity for worship for you guys. He's going to be marveled. He's going to be glorified. He says, for who? For everyone who's believed. It it's, it's applies to everyone who's believed. And then he even tells the Thessalonians, and guys, I want you to know, that includes you. That's what it means there at the end of verse 10. That, that includes you. But if you're here this morning, and you believe you fall into that category, that, that you don't know God, you know about him, but you don't know God, or you have never obeyed the gospel, you have never submitted to the gospel, you've never come to, you're still standing there in your pride, Thinking you can make it right. You can fix it. You can make it so. I want you to look back at verse 9 really quickly. There are two words there. I think are the most important words. If, you're, if this is you this morning and you've never trusted Christ. If you fall into this category of those who do not know God. And have not obeyed the gospel. There are two words in this verse that I think are extremely important for you to hear this morning. It says, they will suffer. This is a statement of certainty. This is a statement of matter of fact. It, it's certain. It's, it's a promise. They will suffer. Hear me this morning. Don't think that you're hearing this message, and if you could just get out of this room, it'll go away. This is not something you can escape, even if you get away from the sound of my voice. Hear me. If you never hear me again, this is not something you can escape. This is something, no matter where you go, to the farthest reaches of the world, to the, to the furthest regions of the universe, this is not something you can escape. If you do not know God, if you have never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will suffer. Those two words are extremely important. And the reason I say they're extremely important is not only are they certain, but here's the reason they're important. They're also in the future tense. This is where Greek is really important. It's like eternally important. They will suffer. You know what that means for you? If you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have never submitted to the gospel and obeyed the gospel, if you're not one who knows God, then it is a promise, it is a certainty that you will suffer if you remain in that state because it is a future tense. The greatest hope you have is while it is certain that it will happen, it has not happened yet. And because it has not happened yet, you have an opportunity this morning, right now, there are people, I, I talked to a brother right after I preached this sermon in the first service who came to me and said he lost two friends in the last couple of days who were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they did not know. See, the truth is there are people who are going to enter into eternity tomorrow who totally assume today that they're going to live for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. 
But can I tell you one thing that's certain? The one thing that is certain is that every one of us will breathe our last at some point if Christ does not return. And the other thing is certain is not a one of us knows when that is. And if you have never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, then the, most, the scariest two words in this passage is that they will suffer. But also the most joyous two words is that they will suffer. It's in the future, which means you can fix it right now. See, we use the term saved or salvation all the time. Why? It's not because if you're in here this morning, you don't believe, you have never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't hear me. Don't hear me saying I'm better than you. The reason we use the term saved is because every single one of us is headed toward an eternity without Christ and headed toward an eternity under the just wrath of a, of, of, of a mighty God. And yet, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he saves us from that and puts us over into his kingdom. That's what salvation is. See, I'm not looking at you saying you need salvation because I'm awesome. I'm saying you need salvation because I needed it too and I want you to have what I have. See, I'm not going to heaven, as Paul said earlier. I'm not going to heaven because of anything I've done. I am going to heaven because of what Jesus did for me. And see, Jesus died for you this morning. And if you're in this room right now and the idea... That those who do not know God and the idea that those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ will suffer, that idea terrifies you. It doesn't have to. That idea does not have to terrify you. The concept of the justice of God doesn't have to terrify you. Because if you will submit your life to Jesus Christ, the scripture says that he has taken your punishment upon himself. You don't have to experience that anymore. Because, as the Apostle Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can know Him this morning. You can submit to Him this morning. What I'm going to do here in a moment is this. We're, we're going to have a public invitation. I'm going to give you an opportunity to come forward and, and, and express your desire to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to do that because you don't know the hour or the day. But you can know for certain that it's coming. But if you will trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you, like the Thessalonian believers, can have hope, can have encouragement, can have rest in the fact that while things may be difficult right now, that while sorrow may last for this night, joy will come in the morning. If you do not know Jesus Christ, but you say, I need Him. I don't want that. I don't want eternal destruction. I don't want eternal punishment. I want to trust Jesus. I want to be saved. I want to be delivered. I want to live for Him. If that's you this morning, then I'm going to pray. And as soon as I say amen, and we're going to stand together, as soon as we do that, I just want you to step out and come forward. You step out, come forward, and take me by hand. Step out, grab a friend of yours you know is a believer, and talk to them. Whatever you need to do, you can come to faith. By the way, you don't need to come and talk to me to come to faith in Jesus at all. You can pray right now and say, Lord, I submit to you. Forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and rose from the dead. Save me, and he will save you. You can do that even now. But if you'd like to talk to me, I'd love to talk with you. Because... While it is certain it will happen,
For those of you who are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, it has not happened yet. So in the words of Martin Luther, run to Jesus.